Uh, here we have the people gathered together and they're having this great celebration and a dedication of the walls of their city that they had built. They were just so grateful for what God had done. They had gathered to uh, learn from God's word and to be taught his word. And now they uh, have this big dedication ceremony and just, just celebration. And th- this ceremony, as I look at it, really is an example of worship. And it's an example of worship on a number of levels and a lot of different ways of worship. And so my hope today, I'll give you sort of the end up front. My hope for you today is that you'll walk out of here considering different ways of worship and maybe one way that you might worship differently or something you might try, a new way of worship that uh, as a result of this image, and I'm going to look at, essentially I'm going to look at three um, aspects of worship or three observations of their worship, but you'll walk out of here with a new something to try and you're going to tell someone else what that is. So somebody you came with today, or if you don't have anyone to tell, then you're going to email me and tell me what your new way of worship is, what you're going to try um, with worship. And this is a great season for us to talk about worship uh, and new ways of worship. I mean, one, we've all experienced different ways of worshiping during the season. I, I assume for those gathered online, and I know uh, for my family, you know, worshiping remotely was a whole new thing that I never thought I would do or enjoy, but we actually quite uh, enjoyed that. I remember that there was about 10 weeks between the end of March and the middle of June that, I mean, due to the nature of what I do, I, I'm busy on Sunday mornings, uh, but for that season, because a lot of my work was already done and was you know streaming on time, I could just sit with my family and enjoy it. And so we made a whole morning out of it. We would make pancakes or waffles from scratch every Sunday, and we'd pile on the syrup and get them all ready and eat, and then we'd all sit together and be ready to worship. And I thank God for those 10 weeks where I got to do that with my family. I'll always treasure that kind of new way of worship that includes both um, singing and waffles and just beautiful, all the beautiful things. But even more importantly than just it's a season of trying new things, it's a season of people asking big questions about life. And another week goes by and there's more uh, tension and violence in our nation and, and people are left asking, well, what is, what is the point? What is the great purpose of my life? What's really important in light of all that I see going on? Because it's hard to make sense of life. And worship is what we were created for. That God made human beings to worship him. God didn't need to make us But it was his good pleasure to make us, to make us in his image, to reflect his goodness, to uh, offer glory and praise to him because he's worthy. That's why God created human beings. That's why you exist. So when we worship, we are living into the most fundamental part of why we exist to worship a holy and good God. And it's, so we live it, this life of worship for him, but also for the world to see him. And so this is a very important um, time and season to think about worship. So it's a good topic for us. Word of warning, though, however. We haven't had a warning in a couple weeks, so I wanted to warn you. The warning is this. When we talk about worship, it is a lot easier to worship when things are going great. When you've had a victory in your life or a new beginning or something that you're celebrating, it, it, it feels very natural and easy to worship. When you are hurting... 
And when you are sad or depressed or when you've had a major loss in your life, it can be very difficult to worship God, to celebrate who he is. We see this in professional baseball. When a player hits a home run, player points to the sky, thanking God, running around the bases. But when the player strikes out, called strike three, looking, you know, they don't walk to the dugout. Oh, you're still God. You're still sovereign, even though I struck out. You don't see that as much. Why? Because it's hard to acknowledge God and to worship God in our failures and in our losses. Yet, as people of faith, we believe that it is possible to worship God and to celebrate God in those dark valleys, in those places of loss. We sing a song called Yes, I Will. And the lyrics say, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. I know that today some of you have come here with hearts that are heavy. With... um, You are in a low valley, and when the pastor gets up and starts talking about celebration and worship, you may feel that might feel very cold to you, that might feel very distant to you. And I'm here to tell you, God is not distant from you, you are not alone, God is with you in that place. And actually, this is a message for you because we do believe by faith that we can worship even in the darkest moments. That, uh, as Psalm 30, verse 5 says. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That there can be joy, even in the midst and after the weeping. But the context of this passage is a great time of celebration. It's a great success story. And that's because God's word is our foundation. I'm starting from that place, but I want to acknowledge that not everybody's starting from that place. But yet, a life of worship is for every one of us. So let us pray as we approach this. Father... We all, whatever the condition of our heart, we now turn it again to you to receive from you and to to know your word. And this is your word. This is your way. We thank you that you are a God who is so worthy of worship. You are a God who is so in control of this world that when we see chaos, the eyes of faith see goodness that's coming through because we believe you're accomplishing good purposes even if we don't understand. So, Father, we just, we just, with great humility, stand before you as your people. Pray that you do your good work in us and through us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, three observations about this, uh, this gathering of worship and this dedication. First observation is that worship starts with God. Worship always starts with God. Verse 43 said that they were rejoicing because God had given them great joy. You could look at this and say, oh, they're celebrating their accomplishment. They had all worked together. They had completed the walls. And now this is about them. But no, it was God who gave them joy. They remembered that God had given them the strength and the safety and the perseverance and the resources to do this. Worship always flows from who God is and what he has done. And then it flows from his people back to him. Worship, therefore, is not something that I conjure up. It's not like I can um, make worship happen on my own. I could just worship harder or worship better. Uh, it's, it's as if, um, if you're unhappy 
and somebody says, well, just try harder to be happy. And you try harder. But happiness isn't about your effort. Happiness is your response to your world around you. Same thing with worship. It's not about me trying to reach God. It's God has done things, and I see who God is and what he's done, and I respond to that in worship. It flows from God to me and then my response back to him. So for them, what happened was they had built these, uh, they had rebuilt, physically built their city, and they dedicated their walls back to God's use. They set it apart. They were convinced that God had a very specific purpose for his worship to happen in that city and in that place, that his presence would be known in a special way in their day. And they were convinced of that. Now, in our day, we know that worship doesn't just happen and God's presence isn't just experienced in a special city or a special place or a special temple. Jesus told his followers that he was leaving his Holy Spirit with us. And as if the Holy Spirit is in me, that means that I am God's temple, that God's temple is wherever I am, so his worship can happen in any place I go, and that anywhere in our world can be a sacred and special place. But at the same time, we can dedicate our things and aspects of our life back to God for his good work. He can use it all, but there's places and times that are special that remind us of God's goodness. So, for example, this room that we're in, we're in a, uh, we call this a sanctuary. This is a beautiful room. And we gather in this room to worship. This room was built specifically in 1907 for people to gather and worship God. And so when we come here, we're reminded of you know the beauty of the room and the bigness of it reminds us of God's beauty and God's greatness. And, and it, it's a good place to worship. It's a special set-apart place. Anything can be dedicated to God like that. A home. Anyone can say, this home I live in is dedicated to God in a special way for his use. I had a, a friend a number of years ago. He was rebuilding his house And they did the first drawings of the house. And he said to the architect, he said, you know what? This house is going to be dedicated to God's use. And specifically, my small group that I host is going to meet here. And I want you to draw up the plans of the house so that my small group will have the best small group space. And so they redrew redrew this guy's house and rebuilt it with that in mind as a goal. And it wasn't some big fancy house, but it it was important for him for it to be dedicated to God's use. Anything can be dedicated to God's use. A job, you get a new job and say, you know what, this new job is dedicated to to God's use for whatever he wants for it. Or maybe I have time, new time. Maybe you used to commute to work and now you don't have to commute. So that 30 minutes, I'm going to dedicate it to God however he wants to use it. I'm going to dedicate it to prayer or to worship in some way. Anything that you have, any time that you have can be dedicated to God. So maybe... As you leave today, maybe one new way of worship is to say, you know what, I'm going to take some aspect of my life and specifically dedicate it to God as an act of worship. Because it starts with him. Everything I have is his. It starts with his, really it starts with him calling me to be his child, saving me from a kingdom of darkness, bringing me to a kingdom of light. So every breath that I breathe, everything I have is his, and I'm going to just acknowledge that in some new way or special way. Worship starts with God. Secondly, worship is multisensory. And we see a number of different multisensory kind of things going on here. First of all, music. Uh, verse 27, they all went to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication 
with songs of thanksgiving, with music of cymbals and harps and lyres, and they name, they, 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 there's all these musicians who are traveling in, and these two huge choirs are described. And the name of the choir director is, is specifically included here. Very heavy focus on music in this worship. And there's cymbals and harps and lyres, and that's, I think of that as drums and pianos and guitars. Um, so kind of your contemporary arrangement. There's also these two huge choirs. Maybe your more traditional arrangement. doesn't matter the style. It's all good. It was all for God's glory. And I love music. All different types of music. Every beautiful bit of music uh, is, can, can be for God. I grew up in a home where there was music. My mother plays the piano and she would play the old hymns and we had tapes and we put the cassette tapes in and listen to the praise songs for kids and that, that was the kind of home I grew up in because we loved Jesus and we had music and it was a gift. But not everybody did. Some people, music is not part of their upbringing or worshiping through music is not something they're as familiar with. And, but, but I would say music, I believe, exists in our world and God's intention in music is that it's for his worship. That that's why music exists. You know, atheists, they have trouble with music and with beauty. Because beauty doesn't make sense from a purely evolutionary biology kind of a standpoint. Music develops apart from natural selection. So it has to have some other purpose or origin. It doesn't quite fit it. I believe that beauty exists because it points to the ultimate beauty of God. That every innate desire of the human heart points to something that's real. So when I feel hunger, I believe in the reality of food. And when I'm tired, I believe in the reality of sleep and rest. And, and when I feel love, I believe in the reality of relationship. And when I hear something beautiful... I believe in the reality behind it, the ultimate beauty of God, that music exists so that I can worship God. So it is, it is a beautiful tool we have for worship. And then verse 33 says, 43 says that the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. They were worshiping loud. So this is not just a music, but it's loud music. And maybe that's something you want to try. Maybe you need to worship louder. And I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm talking literally to turn the music up louder. And I do it Sunday mornings before anybody gets here because it can be a little embarrassing the way I do it. But I turn them up loud in my office and they just start because nobody cares. And it's just very freeing to worship loud. And some of you do it in your cars. I hear you in the parking lot. And it's great. And I see you singing when you're driving and it looks like you're yelling at somebody, but I know you're worshiping God. I hope, oh, I hope you're worshiping God. The, it's um, maybe adding music to your time. You know, maybe you pray and read scripture. Maybe you add music to that time. That it's not just learning, but it's worshiping. So music, it's multisensory is music. But multisensory uh, here, there was also purification, which is another multisensory. It's a touch thing. So it says in verse 30 that the priests and the Levites purified themselves ceremonially, ceremonially and they purified the people and the gates and, and the wall so they were this there's not a lot of detail but the purification probably included ceremonial washing it could have included making sacrifices and sprinkling blood it could have included washing clothing or putting on special clothing for the people these are all tactile things that i can touch and see and wear as part of worship now 
today, as Christians, we don't do a lot of this. We don't do a lot of uh, ritual washing and cleansing and that sort of thing because we have Jesus. Because Jesus, has any, any impurity within us, we don't need to have any ceremony to wash it. We have Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for it. His blood washes us. And by faith, we receive his grace. And we are once for all, we don't have to repeat it over and over, his sacrifice was sufficient to cleanse us for all time. And Jesus, when he came to this world, he, there was people who were very much into the ceremonially washing and doing all these things. And Jesus said, look, you're really clean on the outside, but your heart is so far from me that people can get caught up in ritual and ceremony and totally miss the point that it's about God who is ultimately the one who can cleanse us. And they're missing the point. But at the same time, Jesus, he washed his disciples' feet and said this is an example of how you're to live. He gave them a ceremonial washing ceremony, baptism, which symbolizes uh, the, the cleansing and the new birth and the pouring of the Holy Spirit. He gave them a ceremonial meal to eat. He celebrated festivals and ceremonies with them. Jesus isn't against rituals. So we could try something, something, you know, tangible or tactile. Some people like to pray, maybe holding a cross or a pocket cross or something that you can touch while you're praying um, or something that you wear or even a posture of praying. Some people kneel. You look through scripture, the, the kneeling and bowing in prayer is very common, but many Christians don't, have never even tried it. To just actually, if you physically can, to get on your knees and pray and, and enhance our worship. Now, we've got to be careful not to get caught up in rituals and get caught up with um, things that you hold as if they become sort of, some sort of good luck charm. If that's the case, just get rid of it. But it, to the extent it helps you to focus on God and worship, it's a great multi-sensory thing. The other multi-sensory worship here is prayer walking. And there was some verses missing in the middle there. It just describes, between verses 30 and 40, just describes how they were praising as they walked. So it was two big groups, two big choirs, and they climbed up on this wall that they built. And one group went to the right, the other group went to the left, and they circled the entire city and met back at the temple to continue their worship. And you've got to imagine how powerful that kind of prayer walking is. Because as they walk these walls, they're reminded that there was that guy, Tobiah. Remember, he said, even if a little fox goes on that wall, it's going to collapse. And here they are with a whole choir, with trumpets, and they're praising God walking on top of this wall. It was a big, strong wall. And they're, you can imagine all the memories. They're walking around. Hey, this is the section of the wall that our family built. Remember, we built that? And remember, we slept right over there in our clothes with our swords because we, we knew that we could be attacked at any moment. Remember how God protected us? Remember how God gave us the strength to live this way? And everything they saw reminded them of, of God's goodness and it enhanced their worship and their prayer. I, I love prayer walking. Now, prayer walking for me isn't just, I'm going to walk as I pray, but I'm going to walk and look and the things that I see as I walk become my prayer. So if I walk by a business, I pray for the business. If I walk by a person, I pray for that person. They don't even know that I'm praying for them. I walk by a school, I pray for the school. It, the things that I see prompt me to pray. And it just comes alive. 
And I walk by places where I have memories or where I've had conversation and I pray for the people and I pray uh, into that. And you can pray in special places. You you can pray for your children anywhere, but if you stand in their bedroom and pray, it's a very different experience. Again, not in a magical way, but remembering the places. There's a spot right up in town here called Missionary Rock. Have any of you ever been to Missionary Rock? It's right up behind Phillips Academy. So it's a monument, and it's, in the, it's kind of in the woods behind a pond. And it's, it's kind of in a little obscure spot. And it was a monument that was erected to the, the, really the first missionaries in our country. And they were trained at the Andover Seminary, which was right down the street at the time. And in the early 1800s, they were commissioned to go as foreign missionaries. Adoniram Judson, Luther Rice, Luther Rice, and some other um, famous early missionaries. And a hundred years later, they built this monument. So in, 19, in 1810, they were commissioned. In 1910, they built this monument. Now, a hundred years later, I still go back there and I pray. And I was with a friend this week. And we walked up there, and he's somebody who's trying to, to discern what his next steps are in life, where God is leading him. And we were there, and I said, well, these men, 200 years ago, were praying, and God led them to their calling. And I want to, in the same exact place, pray for you as you discern where God's calling you. Now, there's nothing magic about that place. It is a lovely spot by the pond when there's not students you know, making out or smoking weed or whatever they do back there but when there's nobody else there it's lovely it's a lovely spot Um, but again it's just remembering that god was faithful to those people 200 years ago and god is faithful to his people today and that place reminds me that and it prompts me to pray Um, so maybe so again from a multi-sensory standpoint, is there something you want to add to your worship, whether it's prayer walking or turning up the music or some other way of, of praying and worshiping um, that you might want to add? Because uh, worship starts with God, it is multi-sensory, and lastly, worship is material as well as spiritual. And I get that from this text here, these last four verses are all about how the people organize themselves to collect and to store the offerings. So it was, there was uh, money that was given, but also first fruits and grain offerings and all these different ways that they would contribute to God's work and that they would support the priests and the musicians and they, they were committed to funding this good work. And you got to remember, this was not a prosperous time in the history of Israel at all. I mean, this was a time of political unrest. They, they didn't even really have full control over their, even their own land. Uh, they were just a bunch of exiles trying to rebuild a way of life and rebuild a city. So it, was, it wasn't like they had all this prosperity, yet they were very committed to, to funding it, to being generous, so that their worship with song and trumpet went hand in hand with their worship and giving. We see this in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So there's the sacrifices of our words and the sacrifices of our generosity, hand in hand, and God is pleased and worshiped in these things. So our worship includes generosity and giving. And that's why every week, part of our worship, we talk about offerings. We talk about generosity. Because 
it's not because God needs it or we need it. It's, you know, your generosity isn't something God wants from you. It's something that God wants for you because he knows that there's blessing and that he's honored as we worship in this way. And it's part of our worship. It's not something additional to our worship. Um, and so just this week, the Board of Elders, we were looking at our finances. As we do, you know, every month we just check in. And we were really struck at how uh, generous this church has been, how faithful God has been to us um, in this season. We've actually been running a small surplus, which is unbelievable in light of everything that's going on in our economy and with people's employment. And it's, it's really... Um, such a blessing. It's been a strong year. Now, you praise God. And some, and, you know, some of the savings has been there was open staff positions, but now that they're being filled, and the board wanted me to remind, you know, as they're being filled, that there's a corresponding um, cost to that. But we are so grateful God is bringing good people onto this team. And there was an announcement this week. Pastor Dan Hayner is going to be joining um, our pastoral team and you get to meet him in September and his family and just God has brought us together and for just this great season of ministry and God continues to provide we need to do this all that we need to do this I looked at a recent survey of churches and the really the majority of churches six out of ten have seen declines this year and some churches big declines in their finances 30 percent 50 percent some even 75 percent of giving just gone and we've seen compared to last year, uh, an increase. Why is that? Well, many of you are still employed, praise God. Many people are not. Now others have stepped up and said, you know what, during this time, I wanna, I'm just going to give more. But what's going on is people are worshiping God with what they have. People are trusting the Lord. This is God at work. People are grasping this truth of worship, that it's not just my words, not just my heart, but it's everything I have. So praise God. So these are your ways of worship. It starts with God, and we can dedicate things back to him. It's multi-sensory in many different ways, and it's material and spiritual. So I hope that some, something of that might prompt you as you leave here and tell someone else a new way that you'd like to worship this week. And then tell, or tell me if you don't have someone else. But the beauty of our worship is that it's everywhere. That God's Spirit's with me and I can worship Him and experience Him everywhere with all that I am and all that I have. Let us pray. Father, above all else, if our worship is a response to what you've done, you have saved us. You have called us out of our sin and death and because of the work of Jesus into life and forgiveness and true worship and true fellowship with you. So you, we give you all the glory, Lord. Pray that we would grasp this. I pray that we would just be full of your joy, full of gratitude for who you are. Pray that we would just live it. You've created us to be worshipers, Lord. I pray it would be to you. Lord, forgive us for where we've misguided our worship, where we've trusted things that can never satisfy, and refocus our hearts to you this day, and always be glorified. May it be for your glory and for the sake of our world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.